Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. And today, I have someone on who, because is every, well, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not yet, November is Veterans Month. So it would make sense that the person I'm about to introduce is a veteran. <laughs> it would be silly if he wasn't. But my guest today is Brad, who was in the Air Force, and he's going to talk about what it is like to be in a branch that all the other branches make fun of. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Air Force gets to make fun of the Coast Guard and now the Space Force, so... That is true, but I mean, the reason that we make f that everyone makes fun of us is because they're jealous of us because we're, you know, we're the branch that gets spoiled with all the fancy new toys. We have the biggest budget. We get all the fancy new airplanes, all the fancy new stealth equipment. That's why we get made fun of so much. Also, that that is one hundred percent correct. Um, I am not as an army veteran. I'm going to tell you, he is one hundred percent correct because in 1994. Four or five-ish when I'm in the desert freaking sweating my nuts off. And they're like, you know, the Air Force tents have air conditioning. What? <laughs> huh? <laughs> yes, let, so, me, let, me, let me cry in my air-conditioned tent while you are, uh, you're just boiling in your uh, canvas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can make that joke, though, because I am the son of uh, my dad retired from the Air Force. My stepmom retired from the Air Force. My son just got out of the Air Force. So I feel like I can make fun of the Air Force. I'm Air Force affiliated. Yeah, sounds like uh, it skips a generation with you. Yeah, my son says I'm the Army meat in an Air Force sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, hey, what are you going to do? It worked out well for my son. His civilian job is a very nice, well-paying job that he hey, earned that, because he was in the Air Force. So, that, Hey, that's good. That, that's great. What did he do in the Air Force? He operated satellites. Hey, I'm sure he's got a, a great job. That's uh, awesome. He has a really great job, and that's about all I'm – and I'm not you being a say, smartass. That's, that's literally all, all I can say. And he talks about when he, he'll go on a date. And they'll be like, well, what do you do? And he's like, this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but I can't actually tell you. <laughs> he's like, it sounds cool until you're trying to explain it in a, on a date because the person's like, oh, well, no, really? It's like, no, I'm not trying to be a badass. I legitimately can't tell you what I do. I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm just that smart. Well, you know, unlike your son, I, I was smart enough to get in the Air Force. I just wasn't smart enough to get a good job. <laughs> um, I was a, I was a aircraft mechanic. I was a crew chief. So I did, uh, I, I was, uh, maintenance for the E3 century, uh, here in Oklahoma. It's actually a really, really cool aircraft. If right. anyone here is, uh, listening is a aviation geek. It's that big white 707, uh, with a radar dish on, on top mm -hmm. of it. And if you're yep. a Oklahoma lo local, you've probably seen them flying around, uh, tinkered. Um, so that's what I did, but yeah. So, for, so how I, long were you in? So I joined in 2012. I got, I was in for about three and a half years. I got medically discharged in about 2000, like almost the end of 2015. Okay. So, yeah. All right. I'm hoping that it wasn't some sort of crazy injury, you know, like falling off the plane or something. Just, I, I did fall off. I did slip and fall off the wing of the airplane once after a snowstorm. Um, we were replacing the life rafts on the aircraft and I slipped and fell. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That doesn't sound pleasant. Uh, no, I mean, it, it hurt. Um, I think the most, the, the injury that hurt the most was when I got, my foot got run over by a, uh, there's these metal stairs that you can push up to the jet to get on and off of it. Right. My foot got crushed by the tow bar. And I didn't realize it. It happened earlier in the shift, and I didn't realize it until like the end of shift. I was like, "Huh, my foot kind of hurts." And when I got back to my dorm room, we have dorms in the Air, Air Force. We don't have barracks. Right. Um, uh, I took off my boot, and my foot swelled up. And I was like, "Huh, 
I should probably go to the ER. And yeah, I, I had a, I had fractured my foot. So yeah, that was probably the most painful injury I had, but uh, yeah. Cool. I mean, not cool that <laughs> I mean, you were hurt. I mean, cool <laughs> that sort of your career. So where did, where did you, um, where did you sort of come from when you enlisted in the Air Force? What part of so the U.S. I, were you uh, from? Or are I, you so from? I, so I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Both my grandfathers were in the Air Force. Um, my, it was really my mom's dad that kind of inspired me to join the Air Force. Okay. Uh, I, when I got out, when I graduated high school, um, I was like, you know, I want to go to college, get a college degree, maybe, you know, try to commission college didn't really work out for me. Um, around that time I also discovered I was gay. Couldn't really, it couldn't really. Wait, wait a minute. That. Wait a minute. You didn't know before that you just woke up and you're like, huh, I'm gay. Well, I mean, I kind of, I kind of kept it suppressed, but <laughs> I was to, joking. <laughs> <laughs> going to, going to a Catholic high, going to Catholic school, most of your life kind of, uh, teaches you to keep that stuff repressed, but, uh, right, right, right. You know, don't ask to tell was killed in 2011. So, um, I really didn't feel comfortable serving under that because I'm pretty open about my sexuality. Right. But getting back to getting back to my grandfather's, <clears throat> my mom's dad, he um, he joined the Air Force. I want to say in the 60s, um, he worked at the Air Force Academy for a while doing something with computers commissioned. The Air Force taught him how to learn Persian Farsi. He joined OSI and he was stationed in Tehran. Iran. Oh wow! So was he there when uh, the whole hostage thing happened, or was he able to get out yes, beforehand? He was. Yeah, he was. Oh. Uh, my mom actually went. My mom actually went. My mom and both my uncles went to the Tehran, uh, the Tehran American School um, for about three years, oh, and then wow. they left. And then that's when the the uh, revolution happened. My grandfather was probably one of the last Americans to get out. In fact, he, he would always tell me the story about how uh, he was in the Tehran International Airport and they were asking for Mr. F Mr. John, Mr. Johns, will you come to the front desk or will you come to the you know desk? Right. We need to see you. And he noped, he noped out of there. Um, then my mom and my, my grandparents, they went to, that's when they went to Albuquerque. And a couple months later, my grandfather got called to leave and he disappeared for like six months. Well, during that six months, at the end of that six months, that's when I think it was Carter, who was the president that the Iranian hostage situation was that Carter? Carter. That was Carter. Yeah. So when Carter announced that they had a failed rescue attempt, that's when... Right after that, that's when his commander called and said, hey, Mrs. Johns, your husband is safe. He's in Greece now. Oh. So my uncle my uncle and I, we think that he may have been involved in that because he knew Tehran so well. Right, uh, right. But, uh, yeah, he had a really fascinating story and uh, just the stories he tell me about him being in Vietnam and working with the Gurkhas and the British SAS. Right. Um, I really wanted to join the Air Force and eventually become, you know, I wanted to do an OSI because I thought that was a really cool job. Yeah. Um, until I joined the Air Force and I was like, oh, OSI, they're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> uh, but another cool thing that my grandfather did, which really kind of touched me specifically, was when he was in Albuquerque, he was supposed to investigate officers and airmen who were gay. And he would go to like, he was assigned to go to like gay gay clubs and try to get incriminating evidence and he wouldn't do it like he told he would right i learned this from one of his friends that he would he would he would say no this guy's not gay he's a uh, he's he's fine he's a good airman he's a good officer there's no reason to uh i don't find any evidence against this guy so that kind of touched me um and then my dad's dad he joined the air force in 1948 and for Certain. Wow, it was only the Air Force for a year at that point, right? Because 47 is, isn't yeah. that when the Air Force became the Air Force? Yeah. So he did basic training 
in Colorado, Lackland Air Force Base, which is the only basic training uh, center for the Air Force, wasn't even around yet. Right. So he went to uh, he went to some army base. Like his first Air Force. Probably uniform, it, that would have been probably Fort Carson. I think so. It was something. It was a it was a base that's not around anymore. Like oh gone. well then then I guess it's yeah like, yeah it it's be gone. Fort Carson because Fort Carson's still there. And he said and he he uh what what did he tell me he was telling me like that his first uniform and he showed me his first uniform picture it's essentially a world war ii army uniform like the air force didn't he didn't even get like air force uniform yet that's how you know knew that air force was he was a nuclear weapons troop so he worked on the first nuclear weapons and he was stationed at Kadena air force base and then kirtland air force base in albuquerque so that's how my family got to Albuquerque was through the Air Force. And then, you know, when I joined, you know, my grandfather was so my my dad's dad was really proud. By this time, my mom's dad had already passed. He passed away while I was still in high school. Um, but he was super proud. And I remember driving around the base and showing him, getting him as close to the flight line as I possibly could without, you know, security forces being like, right. hey, what are you doing? And him being like, why are your airplanes painted? Don't you know that that's going to you know, slow them down. Like remembering back to my grandpa's time in the Air Force, B 29s were still, you know, the silver. premier bomber. Right. Yeah, yeah, silver. Um, but yeah, um, and what's funny is my aircraft was probably in testing when my grandfather was still in the Air Force because the 707, you know, yeah, that, that airframe I think was developed in the 19, I know it was developed in the 1950s. The first E3 Century was delivered to Tinker in 1976, 75 or 76. Right. But yeah, no. Um, no, I loved my time in the Air Force. I would go back in a heartbeat, 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 heartbeat and do it again. There's something really cool about, you know, having this broken down aircraft that you need to fix and fly, go fly on a mission. Even if it's just a training sortie and you get it done in the middle of the night and then you see that Oklahoma sunrise come up and it just taxis off and goes off into the distance. And, you know, I made a lot of really good friends, man, just, I don't know. It was just, it was probably the greatest time of my life. (laughs) Right. uh, You know, there's, there's always, you know, the crappy times, like, well, yeah, that, that happens in the military. (laughs) I mean, that's expected. (laughs) Yeah. Like you embrace the suck, but yeah, you know, even, with that like i loved it but yeah like with my job i'm just gonna explain my job a little bit more because you know being army some people will think like crew chief the crew chief is uh if you're ever flying and you look out your window and you see the guy waving the little wands around that was part of my job or if you see you know you know you're watching like top gun or something and you see the guys pointing waving the jets to go down the aircraft carrier right right yeah that's what i did um but besides, you know, waving my hands at airplanes, I, I fixed them. So I was a, I was responsible for the overall health of the airplane. And I was assigned to one specific aircraft. My first aircraft, I still have tattooed on my arm that I got drunk in the dorms. And my <laughs> friend tattooed, tattooed him with a Sharpie. <laughs> I don't know how he got a, I don't know how he got a tattoo gun or how he how he convinced me to let him tattoo me, but he tattooed my jet's tail number on me. And uh, my first jet was, uh, I love this this airplane. Um, Like they all have quirks, but going back to my job. uh, So what I did is, you know, I was responsible for the overall health of the aircraft. Um, I, you know, gassed it. I serviced it. made sure that all the inspections that had to take place took place, did Mm pre-flights, through flights, all that stuff. Um, And then I launched it, recovered it. You know, when there were TDYs, we'd go on TDYs with it. Um, When I was in, there weren't really a lot, a whole lot of TDYs. And I was so new to the Air Force that uh, they were taking a lot of the older, older guys. And I was also in during the sequestration. So, budgets it, it was during that big budget cut so right. uh, like when the government shut down i don't know if you remember that they uh i, I won't get into that because i don't think i can talk about it uh um, yeah no i i uh, understand <laughs> uh 
but yeah, um, so there really weren't a whole lot of TDYs when I were in, was in, uh, but uh, yeah, just thinking about that. Um, yeah, now currently, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a civilian employee for the Air Force. I work for Air Force Material Command. Um, I work on Tinker Air Force Base as a civilian mechanic now. So I'm and still fixing components for that mild airplanes, and yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, so yeah, I work uh, in the commodities in the in commodities. So I fix uh, constant speed drives, which is basically a transmission for um, a big generator that goes on the aircraft that provides it electrical power. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Hey. Okay. No. There, there's the route from military to doing the same something similar on the base that you were at when you got out is quite yeah common. My son actually works in the building. Uh, next to the building he worked at when he was active duty. Oh, really? <laughs> so you'll you'll appreciate this. My son loved, for the most part, the first four years he was in because he enlisted mm -hmm. for six. Oh, the yeah. The last two years, he was not quite as happy because mm -hmm. his company commander, well, I guess squadron commander, it's Air Force, mm -hmm. not Army. Yeah. Um, the lieutenant colonel, I guess, maybe colonel, I don't know. But anyway... He was the grandson of the man that Shriver Air Force Base is named after. So it was Lieutenant oh Colonel Shriver. God. And, yeah, see, I don't even need to go any further. And you already know that that's going to be problematic uh -oh. for everybody underneath him. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's like, I've heard so many horror stories about that. And what's... <sighs> there should be a rule that you cannot be stationed at the base... If it's named after somebody, your dad or grandfather or great grandfather, or something. no, not only that, there should be a rule. There, should, there should just be a rule that if you if you have a relative that was in the military, you cannot serve in that branch. <laughs> well, you would have been able to be in the Air Force then. So, well, he could. There's, there's how many other branches? Well, that's we can go to the Marine Corps. <laughs> no, we can go to the Marine Corps. Like, okay, let me let me take that back. My last wing commander, he was, he was, how do I explain this? He was the, he was, I mean, I only had three, I guess, let's see, I went through two wing command, uh, I guess technically three, but two. Mm -hmm. He was my last one. He was probably the closest thing you could get to, to like, I don't know, like a soldier's soldier like think of like an omar bradley or you know a general general grant an, an right. officer like that who doesn't really isn't all about oh i'm i'm a colonel or i'm a captain but like hey how you doing or hey right. you know like i became friend i i i didn't even realize this but i became friends with his son uh we we just met off base and um him and his son and i became friends and you know, I was like, hey, you know, he's like, yeah, my dad's a pilot. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I just, you know, as long as it's not my direct chain of command, you know, we can hang out. No problem. He's like, yeah, no problem. Well, Brett Row uh, <laughs> is right. So, you know, we became really good friends. And, um, you know, uh, this colonel, this wing commander, he would like drive around the flight line and talk to the maintainers, like come up to us and ask how we were doing. And he, it got to the point where he would know our names. Mm -hmm. And let me, go back because ever all the all, every veteran is now going oh yeah brad you have name tapes on your on your on your on your uniforms that doesn't mean yeah, anything. When, that doesn't mean anything and also when you're on the flight line you can take your uh tops off if it's hot and if it's cold you have you know special cold weather gear that comes covers your name tapes so like he would get to know us and like hey how's how are you doing you know if you told him you were doing something one weekend he would remember that, and he that actually, makes he, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, people don't like, realize the difference that that yeah, can make. Like um, any yeah. any pilot that I had that was like that, I would do everything to make sure that his airplane, you know, worked. Now I had one lieutenant colonel who got pissy because we didn't have the wet paper towels on his airplane for him, and he wanted us to go to the BX or the PX as you call it to get hand sanitizer for his airplane. And he was threatening to cancel the sortie. And 
I was like a brand new A1C and I was like, no, I wasn't brand new. I should say I was probably, I'd been in for like, a, I had my five levels, so I'd been in probably two years by now. I was like, no, sir, you have to take this airplane. I will go get my, my, my expediter. And he went and got, I went and got my expediter and this technical sergeant. So that's a E six went up to the flight deck and I got to hear this technical sergeant chew the ass of Lieutenant Colonel. Cause till that jet, until they close that door, that jet belongs to us. Right. And he said, you're going to take this jet or I'm going to call my commander. Who's going to come and talk to you. Who's then going to talk to your commander. And it's not going to be good for you. And some other choice words, which I'm not going to say on this podcast because, you know, it's not a family family friendly podcast. Oh, you can, okay. You can totally just, cuss on this podcast. Okay, I'm, I'm glad. In fact, I have a warning at the beginning to let people know <laughs> cussing is going to happen. Okay. Good, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, he said some choice words, and then the, that AWACS took off. Right. Um, but yeah, but yeah, no, like officers that you know treat you like that, like that wing commander, like. You know, it made a huge difference. And, you know, I get to know where your son was coming from the last two years having a commander that's, you know, thinks his shit doesn't stink and that he's God's gift to the United States Air Force because his dad or yeah, it was whatever. His, it was his grandpa. And Duncan's like, it's named after your, your grandpa. grandpa, not you. You didn't do anything to earn the name of this base. Yeah. Your grandpa obviously was significant enough I mean, that... Yeah, they named the I mean, base after him because they just don't name him after idiots usually. But <laughs> usually, I mean, that can be, that's that is debatable. Usually, but you know what I mean. So Duncan's yeah. theory was you didn't earn the name of this base. You yeah, just you happened didn't. to have the same name because Shriver's in Colorado Springs. Oh, okay, okay. It used to be called Falcon. That's that's such the that's the most Air Force name ever. Right, right. And um, he was he was there when the Space Force was created. And had he stayed in, would, be space he would be space in the Force? Space Force right now. Because they would have switched him over due to the nature of his job. He wouldn't have had a choice about it. But um, he got out, which I don't blame him. You yeah. I mean, I would have probably stayed in. I, mean, I wish I had been able to stay in. But, you know, where I'm at right now, you know, I'm, I'm making more money than I oh. was significantly more i'm sure uh, yeah like most of my friends who were my like a lot of a lot of my friends because I'm, I'm still friends with you know all my friends who are either in or out or who are <laughs> that didn't make any sense uh a lot of my friends who are still in you know who i went to basic with and then went to tinker with you know right now they're all staff they're all e5s and e6s and i'm making definitely more than they are right now and they don't like it yeah yeah because yeah well yeah it, but uh you know i, but, I do wish i was still in and, you know when i hang out with them and we talk about you know all the crazy times in the dorms and you know going on tdy and you know red flags and right you know them telling me that my jet is still a garbage airplane which it's not my airplane is the pride of the fleet still i know it is because i can still check up on it in the computers um <laughs> You know, that's when, you know, I miss it. And yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, but see, you have a a kilt and a bagpipe addiction. That, and you that can't afford true. that when you're making military pay. Oh, yeah, that is true. You know, yeah. I... <laughs> you know, when a bagpipe costs as much, their set of pipes costs as much as your monthly salary when you're in the true. Air Force. And then, <laughs> and then when you, then when you, caught, when you, when you take into account uh, competition competitions and stuff yeah i would not i would not be able to to go unless unless uh well here's a fun thing so on tinker i don't know if you know this, know this there's a canadian detachment of a canadian I, air force i did actually i lived on tinker you have to remember that's that. right so so you probably you probably knew about the canadians and their their all their fun activities you would well, you'd be in the bx and see canadians and other countries branches, you know military yeah. people there as well but yeah. Um, so they flew, they flew on AWACS or they fly, I should say they fly on AWACS. Um, it's part of our NORAD um, tree with them. So they are part of the 552nd air control, air control wing, um, which is the, te- the unit that is, that operates the E3 century of AWACS. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, one day I was, um, 
let's just say I was practicing my bagpipes and I may or may not have been, you know, hanging out with some friends, drinking some beers uh, out by the golf course. Cause you know, the dorms are right next to the golf course. Right. Right. Well, cause we had just gotten done playing golf. So, you know, it was not my best play. Well, this guy comes up to me and I can just, you know how you can tell an officer is an officer yes. when they're in civvies. So he comes like running up to me with a sense of urgency and I'm like, oh, fuck, this guy's going to yell at me. And he comes up to me. He's like, hey, come here. I'm like, okay. And I'm trying not, trying not to be shitty with him. He's like, hey, you're really good. Would, would you mind playing bagpipes for us? I was like, wait, who's us? He's like, well, I'm part of the, there's Canadians here and we don't, we need a piper for our military functions. Would you be interested in playing for us and how much would it cost? I'm like, well, what unit are you with? And he's like, I'm with the, you know, 552nd. I'm like, oh, I am too, but I'm a maintainer. And he's like, oh, okay. I mean, I can still pay you. And I'm like, I'm not sure if you can, but sure. So what happened is I start to, get gigs with the Canadians, which right. turns into my alternate duty location because their colonel emails my colonel and says, hey, we need Airman Kenna to come play bagpipes for us. So I got to go play all like Christmas parties, change of command ceremonies. Um, the, the My favorite, two favorites that I still play at for them are their uh, mess dinner, which is like, a, I don't know if the army does it, but like mess dining in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a fun time. And then the Remembrance Day ceremony, which is their Veterans Day ceremony. Um, okay. The Commonwealth and in Europe, they call it Remembrance Day. And what's kind of cool is during that ceremony, they have a lone piper play right at 11 o'clock, which is significant because... Right, 11, 11. At 11 o'clock on the 11th yeah. day at the 11th hour, that's when the guns... Of World War One with silence. So it's a very cool ceremony. A very very cool ceremony. It actually takes place in Midwest City. Uh, I'll send, shoot you the uh, details. You should come out and check it out. Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, usually off that since I work I, for the state. I mean, yeah, you should be. I'll be off too. <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing is the the free lunch. Oh, you the know, free lunch. Man. Restaurants are always like, "Hey, come and get a free lunch," and I'm like, "You know what? I might as well." If I'm going to give well, it to like, me. <laughs> do you ever uh, do you ever go around and try to go to every like every try to go to as many as you can or like like coordinate or like I want to go to this place and then this place and then this place? No, the most I've ever done is go to lunch and then go to dinner. It get a you know, cuz generally by the time I've eaten lunch or whatever, I'm just like, yeah, let's go home. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? And then yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe if they were in a line. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy how it, people get, veterans get crazy on Veterans Day, man. I know. Like, I, was at vet, like, I was visiting my son over Veterans Day when he was still active duty. And I was like, all right, let's go get our free lunch. And he's like, okay. And I was like, technically you shouldn't get it. You're not a veteran. You're still active duty. So you shouldn't get a free meal. <laughs> You haven't earned it yet, pal. <laughs> you, you haven't earned it yet. You don't have a DD-214 yet, my yeah. friend. Yeah, you do not have that thing yet. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. He does now, though. <laughs> That's, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to, uh, yeah. I, that's a cool ceremony, huh? Yeah. You know, if I remember between now and then, because I'm going to sleep, so. I'll, I'll, I will, I'll, I'll send you an invite. <laughs> I'll need uh, it. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, like, you know, I w really wish I could go back. Like I saw on, on this Air Force Facebook page I'm part of uh, that, you know, they're trying to get airmen to go back and like separated airmen with a reenlistment bonus. And I was like, man, I really wish I could. But since I got medically discharged and with like my mental health stuff and all that, I can't I can't go back in. Right, but, right. Yeah, no, I miss it, man. It was so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. So much stupid stuff, too. <laughs> the, well, I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise, but when you are active duty, there are frequent times where so much dumb crap is done. 
Like, when I was active duty, we were in the field. And at Fort Hood, um, where you go to the field, it's full of wild longhorns. And so, it does suck. If you're driving a military vehicle and you hit and kill a longhorn, whatever the uh, going rate for the price of cattle was on the no, market that day, you... that's what you have to pay uh, the base for killing that cow, that longhorn. Right? Are you serious? Does it come out of your pay? I don't, yeah. Like, I guess they they don't do it all at once, but, you know, so you better hope that it was a poor cow day. So, we're we're in the field, and... Uh, there's this dude that was from, um, he was from Boston, and he sounded just like Tollbooth Willie from the old Adam Sandler skit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, go on. <laughs> and so, um, but because he was from Boston, he A, didn't know what cow tipping was, which of course meant that he had B, never been cow tipping. Which well, there just C, happened to be a lot of C, cows, <laughs> longhorns, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like seven o'clock at night, and our NCOIC was we're out there. He's sitting out there, sitting in his chair, he's smoking a cigarette, and he sees—I'm not naming any names—the one guy come running, jump into the back of a deuce and a half. You don't just normally leap into the back of a deuce and a half. They're kind of tall. No, that's that's a that's a tall. I've I've seen one of those. That's 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 tall. And then the next guy's running, and then he dives into that same deuce and a half because it was the closest deuce and a half. And then he sees me running, and I dive into the deuce and a half. And then the guy from Boston comes running, and he dives in the deuce and a half as there's a longhorn, a bull, right on his tail chasing him. Oh and fuck. He makes it up there, and the bull just slams his head into the tailgate of that deuce and a half. That whole thing shook. And then our NCOIC said he's sitting there, and he's like, I should probably move. I don't want that, I don't want that bull to see me. <laughs> so he's like, but if I move, will I draw his attention? And so he sort of huffed and walked around, and then he, the bull finally ran off. But... I was glad to give that memory to uh, to somebody from Boston that yeah you know, otherwise would never have had the pleasure of cow tipping. No, and you know maybe one day his grandkids will hear about that time he went cow tipping cow in crazy tipping Texas. In Texas, that's hilarious. So you had you had cows like on the base. Yeah. So. Army bases are, especially Fort Hood, is different. There's like the main sort of base where all your companies are and brigades and battalions and yada, yada, yada. And then you drive out, there's cattle gates and, you know, the field part where you go and do field exercises where all the ranges are and all of that shit. It's got, you know, barbed wire fencing all around it. You drive over the cattle gates or the, you know, the cattle parts on the floor, the cattle rails. And then you're just out in the field and... It is not uncommon to be in a tent and wake up and you realize oh, there's a wow. there's a cow just outside of your tent. <laughs> wow. So like um, the only thing that like the only wild like I mean a cow's not wildlife, but like the only thing that we would get I mean we would get deer. Like I, I yeah. saw a deer get hit by an AWAX once. That um had to have been oddly interesting. I mean, no, there's no deer. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it was gone. There's like a uh, deer, and then there's like, oh, hey, there's some blood. Let's see what else. Um, there was one time we, I was having some, I was having, uh, we were having a dorm party. We were having a rager. And uh, so like our dorms in the Air Force, we have two rooms that are joined together by a kitchen and a bathroom. Right. So it's a big bedroom, kitchenette, and then another bedroom and a bathroom. So it was me, my piss mate. That's what we call our our right. sweet mate. And uh, like we're just you know all hanging out drinking, and then all of a sudden, like just all these dogs from like base housing just go running through the dorms. That and that's the end of my story. It's super anticlimactic. But it was that in so itself bizarre. is weird. <laughs> just yeah. randomly dogs. Yeah, yeah. they're dogs. Uh, then there was also tornado watching. Like, yeah, I remember, right. Yeah, we did, we, we did that. Like, I remember watching the. That was that was that was a 
wow. When the uh, Moore tornado hit in 2013, I remember watching, I mean, you really couldn't see it from the base, but you could see like the storm. And like there were pieces from that storm landing on the base. And my friends and I were drinking on the, on the, on the balconies watching it and security forces is driving around going, Hey, get back in your dorms. And we're watching on the news. And um, like earlier that day, let me backtrack to earlier in the day, I was on mid shift at the time. So it was from 11 o'clock to seven, 11 PM to 7 AM. I get into work and I go to my lead tech NCOIC and I say, Hey, you know, what's our, uh, what's our, what's the sorties for tomorrow? And he shows me and every single airplane is flying tomorrow. Oh, wow. He's like, huh? And he's like, yeah, we're doing a weather evac. So <clears throat> we had to prep all the airplanes throughout the middle of the night. We had to gas them and get them all ready for crew show by like five or six. I don't really remember. And I remember going out and I remember that they had like two or three, so there's, I think there's 18 spots. Well, there were 18 spots mm-hmm, um, right. on each side of the taxiway. And they had like two or they had like air, airmen stationed on every two, every other jet. So like I was at the front, the front of the, I was on able one and two. And I remember that I, the first jet flashed his lights we did. We spun up the engines. He flashed his lights. I taxied him off. I moved over to the next one. The jet behind me t- taxied off. The next guy spun up his engines, taxied off. It was like launching fighters, but they were AWACS. Right. It was the craziest thing I ever saw, and that was the first time that we that I believe that was the first time that that wing had ever done a big, big weather evac loss like that. Wow. And then that day, later that day, that's when the more tornado happened. And I remember watching it and then going to work later that night. And we just had nothing to do. Like, we had nothing to do because there were no airplanes. There are no planes. Yeah, they're all gone. (laughs) (laughs) There are no planes. Like, we were like, hey, what do we do? Like, they even told us to come in late. They're like, just come in late. The airplanes might come back later. So we came in at like, I don't know, one or two. And the planes still aren't back. And uh, I'm like, what are we going to do? So we called Walmart and we started getting bottles of water and like ordering pallets of water. Mm-hmm. And then that next morning we picked them up and we drove them down to the first responders and more uh, by the Warren Theater. And uh, that day we walked around uh, handing out bottles of water to the police and the fire and stuff. That's cool. We, almost, we actually almost got in trouble by our group commander. Because we were walking around in uniform so that, you know, we wouldn't get stopped by anyone, but so that we could hand out, you know, stuff to first responders or anyone we saw. And they're like, Art, the the group commander was like, you guys can't be down there if any of my troops are down there, blah, blah, blah. But we still did it anyways. It was crazy seeing all that destruction firsthand, man. It was literally, have you ever seen Enemy at the Gates? Yeah. So it more after that tornado looked like Stalingrad after yeah, during oh, oh it, yeah it was in it was insane like uh, the one thing that I will always remember is seeing the elementary school like yeah yeah and just how quiet it was and seeing that elementary school like my, was, w- my wife uh, grew up in more and her parents house was if it would have been a half mile north would have probably been destroyed. Wow. Um, but as it was, uh, the pressure from the tornado going by mm-hmm. was, it was such that it separated the, uh, the bricks from the house. So you could like go on the big wall and sort of touch it and it rippled like a pond, <laughs> you know, water on a pond. And so, uh, they had their whole house had to get, you know, rebricked and all oh, of that. The, so, so like, so the, yeah, the brick veneer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was wild. And so I, you know, of course, when that happened, we went over and helped him do some stuff. So I saw May 3rd damage, which is every bit as bad as, as that tornado was. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, yeah, that's the May 3rd. That's what I'm talking about. Is that the one in? No, May 3rd was was 99. Oh, okay. Okay. okay, okay. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, that one was 13 was May 8th, I believe it May was. May 8th, yeah. You might find this interesting uh, just from being in the Air Force. So I work in historic preservation, and we deal with the National Register of Historic Places. Mm-hmm. And last October, we got a tour of all of the historic districts and everything that's on Fort Sill. Because mm-hmm. a large chunk of Fort Sill was built in the teens, the uh, the 19-teens, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And then some in the 30s and the 40s. So a lot of Fort Hood is, or Fort Hood, Fort uh, Sill is yeah. listed on on the National Register of Historic Places. And so we were getting a tour of all of these places. Well, Fort Sill is the home of the only military hot air balloon, you know, Zeppelin from back in the 19-teens and 20s still in existence every other military hangar that those were housed in has been destroyed and there's only seven of them still left in the country and we got really? to go and walk in this hangar that was for zeppelin military zeppelins in the 19 teens really and, and there's there's one in there no the zeppelin is not in there it's just the oh, okay. hangar um okay but it was oddly fascinating and satisfying the thing is it's really just a gigantic barn yeah that's really all it is but you're going in there and it's just this weird sense of history because they're like um you know like the like the circle deal that they used to you know show steering boats with and crap like that yeah so on each side for the doors there was a big gigantic metal thing like that that you would go and these chains that were i don't know probably 30 inches in diameter just yeah, massive to chains doors. to open oh. these doors because you cool. got to think the doors are like five stories tall yeah because you're fitting a freaking hot air balloon in there right yeah. <laughs> and so they were in there. huge i did not know that zeppelins were at fort sill yeah it <sighs> and so it's it's one of seven zeppelin hangars in the u.s that still exist and it's the only one that was affiliated with the military in existence and even though it's basically a big giant metal bar and you're walking through there and you're like this is so cool <laughs> so yeah um i don't as well i'm assuming that you probably have the the you know medical retired i uh, military id card um so, so i'm assuming so you I could get, get on fort sill but so i didn't get medically retired um, oh, okay i just got a discharge but the va when i think the air force has felt pity on me because they put so they put me on the temporary disabled temporary disabled retired list when i got out so when i was get when i got out they put me on this thing called the temporary disabled retired list which is this kind of like limbo area where you're not quite out but you're not quite in it's just kind of a way where to see if you your diagnosis gets better so i was diagnosed with um Bipolar one, massive mood, uh, massive mood disorder, depressive disorder. My legs and feet were messed up from my injuries. My back was messed up. Um, right. So they put me on this because I fought. I fought really hard in my med board. Like I, I got a lawyer. I, <laughs> I had like AFIs. I had secondary doctors' opinions. Right. So the Air Force pretty much said look we're gonna put you on the tdrl if you get better show improvement you can go back in which is what okay. the tdrl is so uh let's see in see i got out let's see i was separated active duty in 2015 then i was on the tdrl until 2017 and i had to go to down to randolph and i had to literally plead my case before like a board right so there were three colonels and a doc an er doctor which i was kind of upset about i wanted a psychiatrist and they wouldn't change it but um they're kind of surprised because i i went down in like uniform and they they generally don't get that like i went down in uniform because i wanted to prove that you know i can go back and do my job Um, so in 2017, I went down, pleaded my case with my lawyer, my, you know, we had a pretty good, you know, it was literally like pleading a case, like going before a board of inquiry kind of thing. Uh, so I went down to 
Randolph Air Force Base, which is right outside of San Antonio. It's part of Joint Joint Base Randolph San Antonio. So or San Antonio. So that includes like Fort Sam Houston, Lackland Senate, Lackland Air Force Base, Randolph um, Kelly Air Force Base, all those bases around San Antonio. Yeah. Um, but Randolph is north is kind of north. It's almost on the outskirts of San Antonio on I-35. So I went down there pretty much for the weekend. Did my thing, came back. Later that year, I found out they were taking me off the TDRL, medically discharging me with severance pay, which wasn't that bad. So I pretty much got the rest of my... the. They pretty much paid me the rest of my pay. That would have okay. been um, my in my enlistment, which was not bad. Right. So I got that. And then I got my VA, my VA pay. Like when I sep- when they originally separated me, they automatically gave me my VA pay. My they had me do my VA stuff too. So when I got out, they had my VA pay. Um, I got when I got out, I was rated at ninety, and then just a few uh, last year I got re-rated at hundred percent. So I do have a retired ID card, and if you have a VA ID card. And I want to say it's above fifty or sixty percent. You can get onto any military installation. Okay. So yeah, yeah. You could prop. Then you could get on uh, to Fort Sill, and it's you couldn't get in the hangar, but I could but see you could it. drive up to like the parking lot and sort okay. of see it. And yeah, it's basically this gigantic metal barn. And Do they have anything in it, or is it just a, a bird barn? shit? Oh, bird shit. Okay. That's it. <laughs> but all of the stuff that made it what it was is still there. All the rooms on the side where they would have kept, you know, the various maintenance equipment and all of that stuff is still there. There's this big giant sort of metal track on both sides of the floor. Well, that's where they would put, you know, the ropes would go into it to hold it down in place in the hangar. And, you know, it's essentially a barn, but it's a cool barn. <laughs> because yeah, it's unique i guess so um, yeah. so my going back though because you said you were you did bagpipes so did you have the u.s air force kilt when you did that um or no were you just I did full not. air force uniform your um, dress blues so, so at first i was dressed blues um the first time i did dress blues uh because so it varied um for remembrance day i did it, it depended on what the canadians were wearing um so if it was a mess, so for like my mess dress dinners, I would do um, blues and remembrance days, I would do blues um, just because out of, uh, just because the Air Force kilt is not an authorized uniform item. Right. Uh, and I could have worn it, but I wanted to wear my uniform and, uh, but there were some times where I do my kilt and if I wore a kilt, I'd wear my black watch. Okay, um, but I did not have an Air Force kilt because I was a poor airman at the time, and a yeah. four hundred fifty dollar kilt. kilts are kilts are not on, cheap. On an airman's on an airman's salary was not um, was not uh, uh, prof. I, I I couldn't I couldn't do it at that time. So yeah, no, I trust me. I completely understand. Kilts are are an expensive addiction. Yes, and I I I I just bought a new one for my for the band I'm in, so. Uh, <laughs> but I'm get, looking to get another one. I think I'm probably going to get either the, uh, the next one I'm going to get, I think is going to be the Oklahoma Tartan or the Air Force Tartan, so. Right. I have uh, two Robertson Tartans. I have mm-hmm. the, the Red Modern, and then I, I think, have Hunting Weathered Ancient, and then I have an Oklahoma Tartan kilt. I think I have a Hunting Robertson, because I believe the pipe band I played with in Texas wore a Hunting Robertson. Was it the modern hunting or the weathered? Because mine is the weathered. Um, it's the one that's like dark is it green, blue, dark blue, green, red yeah. stripe. Okay, yeah, that's that's the modern. Yeah, that's yeah, it's the modern one. I think. Yeah, we have like seven different sort of versions and tartans and colors and. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I understand kilts are insanely that's cheap but that's actually the focus of a podcast that we're going to be doing recording here in a bit <laughs> so <laughs> we we've wandered off track but that <laughs> that's the beauty of having add in the name of your podcast you can, hey, you, can you can do that right 
It's expected. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's, you know, a lot of times people sort of have this, and I'm guilty of it as well, and it's probably sort of later later generations of military because the country was involved basically in two 20-year wars. Oh, yeah. And so if you were in and you didn't get deployed overseas for either of those, or if you're like me and you were in between what I refer to as the sweet spot between Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, if you're in you, that little sweet spot, yeah. You kind of feel like it almost makes you feel like, well, I didn't get deployed. My service is maybe not as important as other people, but that is entirely yeah. not the case. No, I know I get that, that yeah. but you kind of feel that way. And I even got oh, deployed. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, in 96, Saddam Hussein moved 20,000 troops to the Kuwaiti border. And uh, Bill Clinton sent 5,000 of us from Fort Hood to stop them. And we would have destroyed their asses, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, that was not fair yeah. for them. <laughs> no, that was... That was... That was that was not a fair fight. Uh, yeah, no, because it was I think, what, a hundred, a hundred M1 Abrams, with the detachment of A10 Warthogs, not to mention all of the other stuff that was there. They would have totally been destroyed. But <laughs> so I mean, I did sort of maybe possibility have a chance because if he would have went, you know, off the deep end. I was 11 miles from the Iraqi border, so I would have been at the tip of the spear. Oh, yeah, you would have. But it didn't happen. So sometimes it's like, uh, you know, but I didn't I didn't see combat. Because especially now, most veterans have. Not most, yeah, but so I, I many mean, of them have, and multiple tours. But that doesn't make not getting deployed any less valuable or less important. Because your job was so important. Because AWACS is such an important part of being deployed yeah oh yeah how many people would have died had you not been doing your job properly so true yeah and like i never deployed but like we did a lot of home home missions home uh what is it called home station missions that were pretty important yeah like there was a couple times you know like if ever you hear about russian bombers coming down our coasts and you know they they got tracked or something that's an AWACS from oklahoma that did it right yeah. yeah so like we got to do a couple of those and anytime there's a pre presidential inauguration an air AWACS is flying over there um anytime there's a state of the union an AWACS is flying over the over the capital right um uh you know the AWACS is always there's always an AWACS in the sky it's it's really an unsung hero of our air force and <laughs> when I first got told I was going to be on AWACS, I was like, "What? What's an AWACS?" Like, right? So I, 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 when I was going to be a crew chief, when I was, you know, told I was going to be a crew chief, I was going to be like, "Fuck yeah! I want to be on an F-15. I want to be on an F-22. I want to be on a fighter." And then they're like, "Kenna, you're going to be on heavies." And I was like, "Okay, that's cool." C-17, B-1B. I'm glad I wasn't on that airplane, by the way. B-52, another airplane I'm glad I was not a crew chief on. Or, you know, something badass like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're like, uh, Kenna, Tester, Stevenson, AWACS. Like, what the fuck is an AWACS? I'm like, uh, <laughs> sir, what's an AWACS? What's that? <laughs> He's like, it's a plane that has a radar dish on it. And I was like, oh. And I was like, where are you? Where, where's that stationed at? Tinker Air, Fair, Air Force Base, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Oh, and let me backtrack, by the way. My parents, my dad got a job with the Department of Justice in Oklahoma City in 2009. I was still in college. I'd graduated uh, in, I was still in college at that time. And I'd, I graduated high school in 2007. So my mom and dad were like, oh, Brad, you need to move out to Oklahoma City. You'll love it. So when I told my parents I enlisted, I told my mom, she's like, oh, I hope you get stationed at, at Tinker. And I was like, mom, it's a big Air Force. There are tons of Air Force bases. She cursed you. <laughs> so when I got my orders, I called her and I was like, mom, which one of grandpa's friends did you call? And she said, I would never do such a thing. I, I wouldn't do that to you. And I was like, mom, yeah, you would. 
And I heard my dad in the background go, yeah, Betsy, you would. <laughs> and then uh, a couple of years later, we were hanging out with one of my grandpa's friends was passing through Oklahoma. And I, we were having lunch with him and my parents. And I look at him and I go, hey, so I got a question for you. Did my mom call you and have, have you change my orders? Have you have someone change my orders to Tinker? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, she did. I knew exactly who to call it, AFPC. <laughs> so, but no, AWACS, like, it's such a cool airplane. And you know what? When I heard, I remember when I, when I was in, I was, and they were talking about retiring them. I was like, fuck yeah, they're going to retire the AWACS. Because it was a really hard airplane to work on because they're so old and we're running out of parts because no one flies the 707 anymore. Yeah, they're phasing in a new... Uh... A new plane for AWACS, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. The second it's, gen? It's uh, it's going to be an E7 uh, tail. The Australians fly them. It's actually a really cool airplane. Um, so I'm at, I'm also extra jealous that I'm not in because I want to see that airplane and I want to know right. what it does because the AWACS can do some badass things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And now when I, when I heard that they were phasing them out, I was like, oh, that's really sad. Like, the airplane that I worked on is going to you know, go the way of the B-17 and, you know, the, yeah. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't be say that old, but, you know, like the F-14 and stuff, it's going to be an old airplane now. But, yeah, it's it's a really cool, important airplane. I'm glad I got to work on it. Yeah. One of the cool things, sort of, or not, I don't know if it's cool, interesting things about the Air Force is, you know, fighters almost have a very short life cycle, but it makes sense because it's a never-ending war. But Air Force cargo planes and AWACS and tankers and even bombers, they stay in service forever. When they retire the B-52, it's going to be almost 100 years in service because they're so projecting the, it to 1954. Or, I'm sorry, yeah. 2054 to so be in the, service. The B-52s that are in service now, they those are ones that are from like... I want to say the 70s or the 80s. So right. they're not like the original ones, but that whole that design is yeah, it's yeah, But it's still a design that was made, you know, yeah. with the what is it a slide rule and mm -hmm. and sheets of paper and if, I I get that they're not 100-year-old. They won't be 100-year-old planes then, but it's a 100-year-old design. So I yeah. mean I mean it's the same I mean it's the same with like the C130 and the uh uh KC135. I mean they're going to be, you know, a hundred years years old yeah it's, it's, that's it's, incredible and and that's and that's another reason that tinker is such an important air force base yeah because it, it does maintenance on all of those yeah we we take them apart we put them back together like tinker does all the maintenance for every single engine that's in the air force yeah every single engine i did not know that until I crazy. started working as a civilian. So that's engines yeah. for F-16s, F-15s, A-10s, B-52s, AWACS, B-1s, B-2s, U-2s. Every every single airplane that the Air Force has, its engines go through Tinker. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that's yeah. why it was so high on the USSR's nuke list. Oh, I'm I would I would bet my, I would bet my left testicle it's still on Russia's nuke list. I'm sure that it is, but I know when it was the Soviet Union it was like one of the top five Oh I'm sure. I'm sure things because like, of the importance of it, but like uh yeah, if if we ever go go to war with like China or Russia, there's there's some I would not expect to see, you know, a big white light above Tinker. Yeah, yeah. No, I I've I've known that since I was 11. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you this one quick story. It is Air Force related. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, before we moved to Tinker, my dad was stationed at Dias Air Force Base, which is, of course, the home of the B-52. So Saturday morning, dad's reading the paper and he was like, hey, Jack, come here. I was like, okay. He's like, uh... Last night, a B-52 was having engine problems, and it landed on the interstate. And I was like, that's really cool. And my dad's like, I know, it kind of is cool, isn't it? So, he, you know, he reads the article, and it's just saying, you know, the plane landed, people came out, fixed the engine so it could take off, and then go, obviously, land again. It was, I guess, fixed enough to, because you can't take a damn 
B-52 down the interstate onto the base, right? No. no. <laughs> you have to fix it on site. <laughs> and so that's what happened. Well, the next morning, we go to church. My dad's in Sunday school. And one of the guys in his Sunday school class was a B-52 pilot. And my dad says to him, he goes, hey, do you know the guy who landed the B-52 Friday night on the interstate? He goes, yeah, he's me. You know, Obi-Wan Kenobi style. <laughs> he's, yeah, like, me. he's like, of course I know him. He's me. He's me. <laughs> wow. My dad was like, what happened? And he's like, I guess I hit a bird, you know, bird sucked in something, whatever. He's like, all of a sudden it wasn't going. And he's like, I had the option, crash or land on the interstate. I landed on the interstate. <laughs> huh. I wonder what interstate you landed on. Was it like I-40? No, you know what? It, it may have been, you know how they're like in rural parts of Texas where it's a state yeah, highway, but it's basically yeah. an interstate. It probably I, was one of those. Because my dad, I don't know, my dad, and maybe I heard saw it on the History Channel or something, when the History Channel did history, um, that the inter, part of the interstates were designed for aircraft to land on in the event that is of a true war is it okay yeah you'll so notice we on a long road trip that all of a sudden you'll hit an area where there's like a a two mile straight as can be sort of part of the interstate that's yeah. why okay okay that is true then huh yeah but yeah i've i've always thought that was kind of <laughs> you know kind of a I cool deal that <laughs> i'm landing I'm, and i'm landing here <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm that's a big fucking airplane can you imagine uh, driving on the freaking interstate and all of us? Well, first of all, working on Tinker, you know the B fifty two engines are loud as hell. Yeah, I mean them and the B ones. Yeah, I mean. The, Can you will, imagine driving that all of a sudden you hear this weird sound and then the ground shaking as a plane's coming up? Well, I mean, land? you you wouldn't even hear anything. You really wouldn't hear anything until like it was literally over you. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I would. I would piss myself if a B-52 just... I'm like... Yeah, I, I would imagine that there were probably some soiled uh, britches that night. <laughs> probably from if, all parties involved. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wonder if anyone got hit by the jet wash, too. Well, no, because the engines are so far away, I bet. I'm, I'm, I'm geeking out now. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I told you you'd find it interesting. <laughs> That's really interesting. Damn, yeah. that pilot... I wonder where he buys his pants because he's got some. <laughs> fuck me, he's got some big balls. He was probably wearing a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I would imagine though that if your options are crash or land on, you know, the interstate slash state highway, you probably the the easy one is probably land <laughs> and take your yeah. chances versus full on crash. Yeah, because he knew he couldn't turn around and make it back to the. Uh, to the, the base, runway. yeah, yeah, to the base yeah. and the runway. So, it was obviously catastrophic, yeah, enough, oh, yeah. but not bad enough that he could not land. So, yeah, fun times, huh. yeah, fun, fun times. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, you're probably going to be surprised to hear this, but we've reached the end of the the show. Wow. Okay. I, well, I'm, I told I'm, you it goes fast. It does. Hey, I'm, I'm, thanks for having me on, you know, happy veterans day to you. Thank you for your service and to Thank all of that's listening. It was, I had a blast serving. I wish I could do it again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your service. Thank you for your service and, um, all the veterans listening. Obviously I appreciate your service to the country. I know we all join the military for different reasons. Some do it for want to get the GI bill money and go to college mm -hmm. and some do it because you want to support your family and you know, you got married young and you want to support your family. Um, but you still do it because you know, when you're doing it, that you're doing it for love of country mm -hmm. and that at any moment things can go South and you can be deployed. And you know that you accept that when you go in. And I obviously appreciate uh, everyone that, that makes that choice and makes that decision, especially since, you know, I'm a veteran, son of a veteran, father of a veteran, grandson of a veteran. <laughs> you know, so. Wow. Yeah, you're just. <laughs> we are, uh, we have all done some time. 
and I have uncles and cousins and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's something that gives us, you know, the freedoms that we all enjoy are people that are willing to do that. And it doesn't matter the reason you're still willing to do it and you're willing to serve mm -hmm. your country. And I appreciate every single veteran listening. Thank As you. do I. It, As do yes. I. So, yes, thank you for coming on. And I'm going to go ahead and end the, uh, the old show like I do. So, everybody, thanks for listening. And remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. This podcast is a production of Hyper Focused Media.